Welcome, everyone, to the Nerd Journey Podcast, episode number 41. We're joining you every week to talk IT career, news, and opinions based on our points of view. I'm your host, John White, at BJourneyman on Twitter, joined by my co-host, Nick Cordy, at NetworkNerd underscore. Hey, Nick, how's it going? Hey, John, I'm doing great. I have a little bit of the sinus allergy crud that's going around here, so if I mute myself and blow my nose or something, then just keep going. I want to make sure our listeners know we are both VMware solution engineers looking to bring them the career advice we wish we'd been given earlier in our careers. We hope our career discussions will be relevant across disciplines and remain timeless. If you're enjoying our content, please drop us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you subscribe. And if you want to get in touch with us, tweet or DM at Nerd Journey. Ultimately, we're just two nerds on a journey. A journey to virtual enlightenment. So let's take a trip. Great, Nick. Uh, if you do um, pause to blow your nose, I'm going to try to take a screenshot for everybody. Um, I'm sure we'll make that the um, the, the image, the featured image. For Absolutely. The... I'm sure that okay. the thousands of listeners would want to see that. Tens of thousands. Don't forget it. <laughs> All right. Um, so believe it or not, we're going to do a non-interview podcast this week. I love talking to people, but I guess we can't do it all the time. Yeah, this is true. But this week, it's content from our brains on display. You know, John, have you ever given a presentation and then suddenly thought of an idea for another good presentation topic? Or is that just something that happens to me? Yeah, that definitely happens to me. It's it's usually like right in the middle of uh, one discussion or at, you know, at a critical point in the presentation where I think to myself, or sometimes I say out loud, ooh, I should do another uh, presentation right on just this. Um, but I get what you're saying. Uh, so presentations actually come up several times during our interviews with people about career advancement. Uh, and doing them seems to be one of those activities that really helps set you up for your career success. So maybe we should focus in on, on talking about it. Yeah, that's exactly why this show on the ins and outs of presentations is merited, in my opinion. Cool. Well, let's uh, get into structure. We're going to be talking about the background on our thinking about presentations, uh, namely the reasons why people present, the different forms or stages that they're doing them on, and then the career benefits of doing them. And then we're going to get into some practical advice on presentations, how to find ideas, uh, tips on preparing, and and we're going to be kind of sprinkling some of our sources and, and where we get our inspiration and, and where we get our thinking about it throughout. Let the sprinkling begin. So let's talk about reasons people would do presentations. You know, the first one that comes to mind, John, was would be your primary reason for giving a presentation, and that's for the glory. Well, it's my primary uh, reason for doing anything, but yeah. Right. The desire to be nerd famous. Wanting to get yes. people's attention, doing it for the accolades, the pats on the back. While it can certainly get you some accolades and pats on the back, that shouldn't be your primary reason, I don't think. It's just my opinion. Hmm, I'm going to have to rethink this then. Yeah. yeah. We'll, we'll work on John and his attitude. But another reason people might do a presentation is to educate or inform the audience. Yeah? Yeah. I This is actually my, my favorite one, right? Um, the thing that that is constantly called upon, uh, you know, that we're constantly called upon to do in our, our careers and our jobs is to, you know, give information, transfer information about something to somebody. They need to know more about it. Um, 
we have the information to give. We just need to tell a good story. So this is something that's you know critically important. And and this is a you know huge career um, advancer here. You know this person is really good at digesting a lot of complex information and then presenting it in a way that that makes people think that they understand it and actually helps explain it. So you know really big one here. Sure. And along those same lines, you know, you're doing it to show that you've mastered the material. Not only do you know it, but can you convey that you know it to other people in a way that they understand it? And we'll get into that a little bit more later. Another reason to, for a presentation is to make a pitch. Maybe you're making a pitch for an idea, a project, uh, trying to sell something. I'm sure you don't know anyone who does that, John. <laughs> yeah, it's funny, you know, we're... SEs, so we think about it as pitching, right? Um, but it's really any forum where you're trying to convince somebody of something, right? Not just educate or inform them about something, but you actually have a point of view that you're trying to convince them of. Sometimes the point of view is you should invest money in my project, right? That's a lot of what happens in IT. You know, when you get to a certain point, you actually need to go somewhere to get budget for your idea. And if you know how to do this effectively, then you're going to be much more effective in your job. And as a result, you know, hopefully that leads to career advancement. Absolutely. Or we need to hire more people because we're shorthanded and here's why, Mr. Boss yeah. Man or Boss Lady. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, there are several different types of stages or arenas in which a presentation can happen. A lot of them are in person, maybe a small or large company meeting, a company training of some sort, could be one-on-one, -on -one, could be one-to-many. Again, we talked about the project pitch to a boss or a set of internal decision makers at your company on something important. Uh, it could be a user group of sorts. Maybe you are talking about something you've done on the job and trying to help other people grow from based on what you've learned and the mistakes made. There's also the industry conference, you know, whether it be technology or some other industry conference, you can, it could be a very big one or a very small one. And of course, when you're doing an in-person presentation, you know, the ability to interact is really going to depend on how big your audience is. In addition to in-person, you also have the remote presentation. Maybe it's live, maybe, maybe it's some kind of phone call like a Zoom. Usually those are one-to-many. They could be one-to-one. -one. And you can have some interaction there, but if your audience is a large group, it, it might not be very much just because of the media you're using. Uh, it might be a recorded presentation, something that's going to be posted later for other people to see. Maybe you have a live audience at the time, but other people will watch it later. Again, if it's recorded, it's going to be one to many, but there's no interaction immediately there. Anything I missed there, John? No, I, I don't think that you missed anything. I just wanted to go back and maybe emphasize that, you know, the stage um, you know, can be multifaceted. It could be live, you know, it could be, you know, remote, it could be uh, recorded, but, you know, it could be large numbers of people and it could be small numbers of people. The, the way to get started is to do it, you know, at every opportunity. If you have an idea and you want to convince other people of it or even just talk about it, then, you know, the very simplest way is to tell a person about it and then ask them what their reaction was you know, for you, for your discussion, right? And then you can formalize it into, you know, more of a presentation where, 
you could even just be sitting down in a closed office and, you know, basically, you know, slightly more formally giving this information as a presentation with or without, you know, slides or visual aids or anything, and then add in slides and visual aids and then add in more people and then add in even more people and then maybe do a recording, then maybe do remote uh, one-to-many sessions. So whatever it is that your idea is, you can start small and start informal and then grow to large and grow to formal, right? So there's always a progression for everything and, you know, this is no exception. Sure. Yeah, we're not talking about conference keynote speakers here, but even they got started somewhere. Absolutely. Okay. Well, let's talk about career benefits of doing a presentation. Now, what does it get you? It gets you experience having the conversation, presenting your ideas in front of a group of people. That just seems to be something that is nerve-wracking to most people. It, it makes them nervous. Maybe it's intimidating based on who the audience is, but this is actually really good preparation for a field facing role or some type of a role where you're going to have to be doing this a lot. You know, we, we know people in those roles today, like a technical marketer type role, they're giving presentations quite frequently. Yeah. Or SEs or, Mm -hmm. um, you know, technical account managers, at least uh, inside the the organization that we both work for. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, All of those roles, involved doing presentations at some point in time, you know, without exception, basically. Yeah. Or straight up salesperson. Definitely. Another benefit is standing out in a crowd, you know, by giving a presentation on something and doing a good job, you are looked at as someone who's knowledgeable in this particular area. Other people may come to you for help and also see you kind of as an expert. And that's a, that's something for your resume. Hey, I did this presentation. Here's the link to the recording. <laughs> you can go yeah. watch it and that may get you the next job. You never you know, know. Absolutely. It can definitely help in that. And the other thing is, is like, you know, if it is like a barrier for people, then you have to imagine it in a marketplace, right? So if it's something that people don't like to do in general, then you adding that skill makes you more valuable, right? If you have the skill and maybe what the team is missing is somebody with that skill and they're saying, well, you know, he or she's a little bit behind maybe technically the rest of us, but we can bring them up to speed technically, but they're so good at, you know, doing presentations that, you know, none of us want to learn how to do that. And therefore we want to hire this person um, to do the job or, you know, Hey, this is just a key part of the job and we can teach you the other stuff. Uh, you know, there's a lot of different ways that that, you know, can happen. It can be like, geez, you know, we want to, we want to fire that guy, but he's the only one who'll actually do presentations to, you know, to the manager or to the director to, to get his budget. We can actually fire him, you know? Yeah. Great points. And in that same thought, you know, this is, Another benefit of doing a presentation would be community contribution. The greater technical or industry community outside the workplace, you know, that can expose you to a lot of different people in different places and just expand your opportunities. You know, if you if you were thinking of this as as a gift economy type mindset, you know, the people who are giving the most are viewed as some of the richest 
in in that way, you know, philanthropic almost. Yeah. And if you don't like that way of thinking, then I'll turn it and phrase it a different way that might appeal to you. You know, if you're a little bit more of the what's in it for me type, right? Um, Seth Godin, who is an author and a presenter, um, has this TED Talk. Uh, I think it's called Ideas That Spread Win. And so, you know, the whole idea is, you know, if you're the one who is coming up with an idea or an a take or a take an on an idea and it spreads throughout the community, then you're the one who wins because you're the one who's looked upon as the original originator of that idea. So you have to be in a position to talk about your idea and present it to a lot of people, you know, all the time. And that's how you personally will benefit from it to be thought of as the originator or the one who was able to articulate it the best. Yes, sir. And another benefit here is this is an exercise in organizing your thoughts. Can you put things together in a way that is organized and easy to understand? You're going to have to be able to do that uh, in your daily job, probably just to communicate with other people. And especially when you're giving a presentation and it's a, it's a good way to learn something new. (laughs) Hey, I want to learn X, Y, Z. So I should sign up to give a presentation about it because it'll force me to learn it. Uh, I may have yeah. done that recently. <laughs> it's funny. Those are the last two things um, I think really go together, right? And exercise and thought organization and, and as a learning exercise. I, I think sometimes you feel, I, this has happened to me multiple times, I felt like I really knew something until I tried to teach it to somebody else. And that exposed the holes in my thinking and holes in my understanding. So the process of organizing your thoughts into a presentation to teach somebody else else about something, you know, again, to transmit that knowledge, transfer that knowledge, or to um, uh, try to convince somebody of something helps you to understand, oh, wait, you know, that I can't even really articulate this point. Maybe I don't really know it that well. Right. If you can't articulate, you know, a where, when, how, why point, then you don't really know it. You, you might feel like you know it, but if you can't explain it to somebody else in a way that they understand at least what you're talking about, then you don't really know it. Oh, absolutely. And I, I think that's a great point of knowing something really well and then being able to explain it to someone who is, for example, very tech savvy versus someone who's not. You know, that's a that's a totally different conversation. And the skill to translate that into two different discussions is is a big one. Yeah, it's it actually reminds me, there was a YouTube video of, I think somebody explaining, maybe it was chaos theory to a five-year-old, <laughs> or, you know, it was, maybe it's a whole genre of, of uh, videos like that. I think it was like, maybe like math and science concepts. And it's like, explained, you know, f- at five different levels or multiple different levels. I'll try to find the link and include it. But, you know, it, it's very true, right? To be able to like de-jargon your thinking to be able to you know simplify it to to make good analogies that your audience understands and and even to learn about your audience so that you can create an analogy that makes sense to them sure or just say digital transformation as many times as possible during your presentation yeah and and cloud and blockchain mhm absolutely in containers anyway <laughs> what about presentation ideas i mean how do i find that first good idea for a presentation. First of all, 
it should be something that interests you. It doesn't necessarily have to be something you know very much about, but something that interests you. Maybe it's something that you have a really strong opinion about. I know you have some opinions, John. I've heard them. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> a, sub a subject in which you're somewhat knowledgeable. You don't have to be an expert. There's no reason that you have to be a complete expert on everything when you go and, and give a presentation. And, and it's like I tell people who come to Spice Core meetings, you know, why don't you tell us about a project that you did at work? You were the one who did it, so obviously you know all about it. Tell us about what you did and what went well, what didn't go well, what did you learn from it? Because a lot of people are probably doing something similar and can, can learn from that. I think people just don't really realize that they have something valuable to share with others. Yeah, it really goes back. It. Yeah, it really goes back to the community contribution thing that you were mentioning before. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I, I think you also need to think about what would my audience want to hear? You know, if, if you're at a user group or a conference, they may have you sign up to give a talk and give you specific categories. So make sure that the talk you're giving fits with the category you're signing up for or else it may not be selected. And, you know, John, if I'm giving a presentation, does it need to be something that no one's ever talked about? No, probably it, you know, especially at a conference, you know, a lot of the topics have been covered multiple times. You know, the important thing is that you're giving your, your unique take on it, right? Absolutely. And my take would be different than yours, which would be different from someone else's. And it may be what it takes to get the light bulb to come on for somebody in the audience that it didn't before. Exactly. And, you know, how long do I need to be able to talk for? I mean, everybody wants to be able to monologue for four hours, right? Oh, my goodness. But not everybody wants to listen to that. No, they don't. It seems like one of the industry standards at conferences and things like that is about 45 to 50 minutes, but you can find other examples of shorter talks. You know, it may just be 15 minutes, 30 minutes at a, a small user group. I was thinking about the V Brown bag tech talks that are going to be at VMworld this year. You can sign up to do a 12 minute talk or a 27 minute talk, and they're going to cut you off when you hit the end of that time block. So it, it needs to fit. Yeah. And of course, if, if I'm finding a presentation idea, it has to be something that I can put in PowerPoint slides because that, that's the de facto standard to present them, right? <laughs> um, death by PowerPoint, right? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, if we don't have a PowerPoint, then just don't bother. Forget it. <laughs> okay. Now, if we go into preparing, how, you know, I've... I've have my idea, how do I prepare to give this talk that I decided I'm going to give? Well, I need to know my audience. Just like we talked about before, I may be very well versed on a particular topic, but if I'm going to be talking to a group of people who don't know anything about that, then I'm going to have to do some 100 level enablement before I go deeper. If it's people that are pretty experienced, then I can start at that at their level. Hopefully you know that going into it, but you don't really want to make assumptions, right? Right. Usually you can see what the level will be when you're 
when you're applying to speak at a conference and something like that. And if you're doing this at a user group, for example, talk to the people in charge of the group and just ask them, hey, what's the level of knowledge here so that I can make this interesting to people who are coming? And if you're doing a training within your company, you know, you need to figure out, is this training for individual contributors, managers, executives, because they may use the thing you're training them on in, in different ways. So you need to make sure and keep that in mind. I would say also that um, you should think through how you're going to, how you would do it in any of those ways, right? And that's a bunch of different dimensions, unfortunately, that we just gave you. Technical versus non-technical, you know, 100, 200, 300, and then three different functional roles, right? Individual contributors, managers, or executives. Well, um, you might be given a specific profile of audience member going into wherever it is that you're going to be presenting. And then while you're presenting, you know, you should always confirm that that is actually what you have. What is the technical level of you as an audience member? You know, can you raise your hand? Are you at the 100 level in my talk about oranges and orange growing in Florida? Are you at the 200 level? Or are you at the 300 level? And then what are the different functional roles that we have in the room? Are do we mostly have orange growing individual contributors or orange growing managers or executives of orange companies, right? And then if what you have prepared doesn't match what's actually there and you haven't prepared to pivot, then you're going to be in kind of a, a an awkward position where you only have what you've present what you've prepared for and you know, it's not going to match who's actually there. So if at the very least you've thought about, okay, you know, they've asked me to do a 300 level presentation, but just in case everybody's at a 200 level or at a 100 level, here's how I would change what I'm going to say. And mostly, you know, they told me as individual contributors, but if, if, you know, 30% of the people are the managers in this organization, or, Hey, what if we have the CEO? Well, you know, probably you should, you know, kind of steer your presentation to the most important person in the room. Um, you know, especially if it's, you're trying to, you know, convince them uh, to fund your project, for example, right. Um, you know, steer your presentation to the level of the person who has the ability to say yes to your project. Um, and if you're not prepared to do that, but you have the opportunity to do that, then you've kind of blown an opportunity. So, uh, you know, just think it through. You don't have to prepare, you know, nine different slide tracks. I'm just saying, how would you adjust what it is that you're going to say about your different slides, you know, if you had a different situation from what you had, um, uh, what you had assumed? Oh, yeah. And that just that thought process, as you said, it doesn't have to be a bunch of different scenario slide decks, but at least considering that and thinking through it as you prepare is going to make you less stressed and probably going to make it easier to think on your feet if you do have to pivot during your presentation in some way. Yeah, yeah. And just as an example, for example, you know, if everybody, if you pre prepare a 300 level um, technical talk and then everybody that shows up is actually 100 level, you're going to have to go through and de-jargon every single, you know, talk track that you have. Every single acronym that you have accidentally kept in your presentation, you're going to have to explain what it means probably every single time it comes up. You know, so that's the type of thinking that you need to go through. Um, in this part of the preparation. 
know your audience for sure. So I want to share some things that I got out of a book called Brain Rules by John Medina, Medina, one of those. Pretty interesting stuff. While I don't agree with everything he said about evolution, he makes some really good points about how our brains work and how that can relate to giving presentations. So one of the things he says is when you're giving a presentation, you need to get the group's attention. Of course, right? If you can't get my attention, then I'm not going to be able to remember what you said, and I'm not going to I'm not going to hear most of it. Definitely not going to retain it. So if you can master your hook, something emotionally stimulating that will get people's attention. And if it's emotionally stimulating, it'll be easier to remember than something that's not tied to an emotion. The emotional components of memory are actually remembered better than super duper deep details. If you can give the gist of what happened more than the details, it will actually be easier to remember. I think that um, we both learned our technique um, from Peter uh, Cohen, um, who gives the great demo uh, pr presentation, that, that training. And he uh, talks about a technique called in media res, which is uh, kind of like a screenwriting technique, right? Or, or storytelling technique where you drop your audience unknowing, you know, kind of like at the, um, in the middle of the action, right? Um, so there I was in the data center, smoke was billowing out of, out of my, you know, million dollar storage array, and I could hear sirens coming in the distance. But wait, let me tell you how this all got started, right? So you drop your audience in the middle, get them interested in what's going on, and then back up and then, you know, walk them up to that point. And there's some element of timing here. You know, if you can chunk your presentation into small little stories or sections, that might be helpful to the audience as well. In the book Brain Rules, the author was talking about how he uses the 10-minute rule when he gives a lecture. He starts with a high-level concept, and then he talks about things related to that concept that are in a logical structure. But he opens with something that gets the audience's attention. And by using that structure, he can keep the people engaged for about 10 minutes. And then after 10 minutes, he has to introduce another emotionally or intellectually stimulating idea or story to keep the audience's attention. Otherwise, they're going to stop paying attention. So yeah, that really good to know. That really lines up. Um, one of the books that I use for um, learning about presentations is called Presentation Zen by Gar Reynolds. There's a book and there's also, I think, a blog that it originated as and uh, at presentationsend.com. We'll put the link in the show notes. Um, he talks about unexpectedness and surprise. And I think it, it really is, you know, that same idea. In order to get people interested in paying attention, you have to have something surprising or unexpected happen, right? Um, or at least it's one of the tools that can be used to get people's attention and hook them in for the next 10 minutes. And once you hook them in, you definitely want them to not only pay attention, but actually remember the things you've said. So our declarative memory, as in remembering facts, things that can be um, recalled, not, not the same as like how to ride a bike or how to breathe, but some kind of fact that you can recall. If you use less words and more pictures, it's actually easier for people to remember. I specifically remember one of John's presentations at a conference that was three slides. Each one had a title and each one just had a picture. 
It was incredible. <laughs> I wish I had the link to the recording, but I don't think it got recorded. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't even know if I still have that presentation. That that's. It's interesting you say that. I I think that idea again came from the presentations on a book that I was just talking about. And, um, you know, one of the ideas in that book was that, um, you should have like a visual component and really not try to fill your, your presentation materials with written versions of what you're saying, right? The, the visual should be there to hook them in. And as you mentioned, as a, as a memory device, you know, and then, uh, what, it is that you're talking about should be actually talk, spoken, right? If if the slide has all the words that you're about to say, then what are you doing there? Like, why don't you just hand out the deck, right, on a thumb drive and walk out the door? Like, what are you there for? Well, I thought you were there to read your PowerPoint slides to everyone, John. Yeah, that is definitely not career enabling. Um, you don't want that to be your presentation brand. And, and you know, I'll say this, I've fallen into that trap before, right? Uh, a lot of times what, what that means is that you're not prepared. So you put the words onto the slide and then you look at the slide to remind yourself what to talk about. Um, so that just means, you know, either you're, you've, you're not prepared and you, and you don't know your material or you just need, you know, a better uh, note system to uh, um, prompt you, uh, you know, in kind of a, an expositional way, like what is the next point? What's the next part of the story I was going to take? Tell or, you know, something along those lines, as opposed to just put all the words, you know, onto the slide and that way I'll remember. Yeah. And and part of helping people remember just some facts out of the book, it it was talking about how vision trumps all the other senses. If I hear a piece of information, I can probably remember 10% of that information three days later. But if someone added a picture with the information, I could probably remember more like 65% three days later. That's pretty significant. Yeah, that's really interesting. That, that again, goes uh, right in line with some stuff that, that I remember seeing. I don't remember the source on this, but um, there was a... Uh, an experiment where they they put you know a series of words up on a card and, and had people try to memorize them and it was you know fairly difficult you know the more words you put up there and then they put you know like words but with a missing letter but it was organized such that it was still obvious what the word was and the extra effort that it took to interpolate, oh, well, that's actually this letter, and as a result, the word is this, helps people to um, to um, actually remember the list of words better. So I'm not suggesting that you, again, put the words up, but leave out you know strategic letters. Um, what I'm actually suggesting is that in the course of your presentation, if you leave out information and you make the audience interpolate what is supposed to be there, then the extra process of thinking through and solving the problem will help them anchor the information that you're trying to give. Yeah, watch for John's next presentation PowerPoint because I'm I'm gonna guess there'll be some blanks where letters are supposed to be. I think that'd be fun. No, no, actually it's entitled um, uh, Virtualization, The Best Things in Sliced Intel Chips. Hmm. Anyway, okay. but okay. So if I'm helping people remember, I also have to help myself remember because I'm giving a presentation, right? Yep. Now, 
again, back to the book, it talked about the context of learning, helping people remember. I don't know about you, but when I was working the help desk at my previous employers, sometimes I would talk to an end user in the hallway. They would tell me something and I would, you know, maybe go make a ticket or, you know, be courteous, make a ticket for them. But sometimes I would actually forget. I would forget the conversation ever happened until I saw that person later in the day. I would immediately remember, oh, they needed X, Y, Z. And just the fact that I was talking to them again jogged my memory that I needed to do something. So, you know, if you learn something uh, at your house and you're not at your house anymore, you may not remember it as well. But this may speak to practicing your presentation in an environment that's going to be similar to where you give it for real. So if you're giving it at work, you could go into the conference room where it's going to be and practice when no one else is there as a way to maybe help yourself remember. This is a concept that I always, I don't know if this is even what it's officially called, but I always thought of it as state dependent learning. And, um, it was one of those things that we bandied around in college, right? You're trying to learn something at 3 AM when you're super, super tired and then being tested on it at 8 AM, you know, after you had fallen asleep and woken up and showered and felt much better. Um, so you're in two different states, one, one when you're actually learning it and one when you're actually trying to apply it and it wasn't a good match. So, uh, maybe that's just an excuse for doing bad on exams. Um, but we still thought about it that way. Another thing that can help you prepare is make an outline. I know it sounds silly. We, we did this when we did five paragraph essays in the day, make a list of high level concepts and then put the details around it instead of going into the small level details first. And that goes back to the idea of chunking up your presentation. And if you get stuck, you can't think exercise may actually help stimulate your brain. So maybe you need to go for a walk while you're preparing to help stimulate those thoughts to get more content in or to help you remember something better. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's really uh, great advice there. Um, you know, uh, not to peel back the, the curtain here, but you know, Nick and I are have are you know, actually have an outline that we're talking from. So, you know, we don't, you know, just go into this blind and, or, we also don't go into it like memorizing the entire conversation that we're about to have. You know, we have a list of things that we want to talk about. We organize it a little bit. And then once it's in a, a way where, you know, one or two words or a phrase kind of stimulates what it is that we're uh, wanting to talk about, then we feel like we're in a really good place. And that is all training from presentations. One of the things Sorry to uh, to jump into that and jump to the next thing, but the, one of the things I wanted to talk about was um, an organization called Toastmasters, um, and they have a um, they have local chapters, and what they do is they kind of have a structured way to teach you to do public speaking, and it's really well organized. It's you know I've gone to a meeting or two. Um, I just it. it at least my local chapters always met at a time that I happened to be exactly busy at that exact time. Um, so I was never able to go, but, uh, you know, just a great organization. And they did things like count the number of times that you use the word, um, 
and read that back to you or tell you if you don't say the word um tell you exactly words that it's obvious to the audience that you are pausing on and they call those pause words so for example the word so is probably one of my pause words so just wanted to make people aware of that organization and again we'll put the link in the show notes um, they have lots of local chapters in uh, lots of different areas and actually now that i think about it i actually think i know a bunch of people who work for toastmasters um, but that's neither here nor there another thing here as you're preparing for your presentations honestly i like the being able to have time for questions regardless of the size of the audience, you know, maybe it's at the end that seems to be the traditional time, but you know, maybe you have time baked into a specific section and you just time limit how long you're going to allow questions so that you get through everything. But are you going to be able to answer every question, John? Yeah, probably not. Right. The, the especially if you're giving, um, you know, a talk like it, you know, it doesn't matter what level talk, if it's to, you know, 100 level, then people might have so many questions that you get bogged down in question after question after question about fundamentals. If it's a technical audience, then you might get bogged down in super technical uh, rabbit holes that, you know, are interesting just to one or two people in a room out of room of 50, right? Yeah. And if you don't know, it's okay to say you don't know. People will respect you for it, you know, rather than making something up. Tell them you'll find out and be prepared to follow up with that person. Because guess what? It allows you to learn something new, which just makes your knowledge better. Yeah, and, and I think it also makes sense to just take a series of questions offline with uh, somebody, you know, if it's something that you sense is only an issue for this one person, just say, hey, let's uh, step outside after we're done here or after lunch or, or whenever, and we can talk about it, you and I, one-on-one, -on -one, and maybe we can get to the bottom of it. And that right. way, something that's interesting to just a few people can be relevant and in front of just those few people. Let's do a breakout session. You know, whatever it is, um, just handle it that way. Um, this actually reminds me of, uh, you know, just the whole topic of uh, preparation. Uh, again, I think I got this from Presentation Zen. Uh, you mentioned it before, the idea of simplicity. Um, if you're going to do a visual, then, you know, pick an image that maybe symbolizes, you know, or is an exemplar of that thing, and then give your talk about that, you know, without the aid of, you know, bullet points that are spelling out your individual points, or, um, you know, if you need technical diagrams, then obviously you're going to have technical diagrams, but be able to speak to them rather than read off of them. Um, one of the, uh, uh, interesting sets of restrictions that, uh, presentations on, you know, it, it pointed me to this org organization or this movement called Pecha which is, uh, a structure of presentations where you give 20 slides that each last exactly 20 seconds and are auto um, automatically uh, advanced, right? So you might not be done talking about your first slide, but at 20 seconds, it moves on to the next slide. So within a structure like that, a firm structure, it gives you the freedom to cut down whatever it is that you're talking about to that specific time or to that specific, you know, simplified concept 
that you can fit onto one slide. Now, again, I'm not um, suggesting that you know every presentation can be fit into this format, but think about giving yourself a set of restrictions like, what if you're going to advance a slide every 45 seconds? You know, so because of that, you need to be able to say everything uh, intelligently and interact with the audience within 45 seconds. Not that you're actually going to do that, but what if you put that restrict on, on yourself? This is my target. Be able to speak about each slide for 45 seconds or one minute or 90 seconds, whatever that restriction is. So then you have to strip down your concepts so they fit into exactly that slide in exactly that time frame. Again, um, restrictions sometimes can stimulate creativity. Yeah, that's fantastic advice. And that really leads into the last couple points here on design, designing the presentation. And you said it before that the slide shouldn't be able to stand alone and just let someone read it because that's what documents are for. Right. Yeah, that's a another presentation Zen idea. And and this is something that I honestly um, am still struggling with on a day to day basis, especially in my job role as an SE. You know, so many times we are asked to do a slide deck and then hand over that deck as if it should be able to stand alone. Or for anybody who didn't make the uh, presentation, uh, if they can just look at your deck. Um, so they can get the information. And then it's like, well, then why am I coming to do the presentation at all? Why don't I give you the deck for everybody and I don't have to do a presentation at all? Um, or why don't I give you a white paper? But I've probably already given you a white paper, so why am I still, you know, so like something about the presentation and the slides or the materials that you're using should be unique to you. Like you should not be able to take the slides, and again, this is the presentation Zen philosophy I'm, I'm speaking to, they should not be able to, uh, to stand alone as something that can be just ingested or uh, consumed by an audience and then get all the information, right? So, you know, you mentioned like that presentation I, I gave at Spice World, and it was three slides and each of them was just a picture, right? Anybody who got that deck afterwards would have been completely confused about my section of that presentation because I think I spoke for like 30 minutes, right? Yep. So, so, you know, that is kind of what you're aiming for, but not to say that there's no way to actually, you know, hand that information over. You should be able to hand that information over as a document, right? Um, and that is like, you know, a PDF or a word file or a printout or, you know, some electronic format where, you know, all that information is, is conveyed, but, um, the idea that it all goes on the slides is I think a real fallacy. Yeah. And if, you know, if you're going to have bullets with text, that's, that's not wrong necessarily, but make them really brief, maybe just a few words. And as John said, you better be adding something when you bring up that point that isn't on the slide, because if you're not, then you didn't you really there? prepare well, well enough. Yeah. Yeah, you didn't sure. prepare, and why are you there? Like, if you can't add anything to the slide, then why are you there? One thing you and I didn't talk about before recording this is, how much should I practice my presentation before I give it? I just thought of that. What are your thoughts there? I think that the answer is usually a lot, um, but the the actual answer is however much you're actually able to do it. Um, if you are nervous and it's the first time, 
that you're going to give a presentation and you're really worried that you're going to be bad at it, then, you know, that is something that you should take into account and give yourself a lot of lead time. Um, have a lot of practice time, get a lot of feedback. You know, the first time that you give the presentation shouldn't be at the place where you're going to be, you know, judged by, by the presentation. So you should have like practice sessions, you know, in front of friends and family, uh, colleagues who can, you know, judge you and, and give you honest, you know, critical feedback, not just, wow, I think that's great. You know, like, no, 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 you're doing this wrong. You know, definitely don't pick your nose while you, you know, talk about point three. That's the third time you've done it or whatever it is, you know, you, you, you seem to really get lost in thought on, on slide number five. You just looked at it for 20 seconds straight and then you started talking. Um, and I think that that's not helpful. You know, whatever that critical feedback is, you actually need it in order to improve. So make sure that you find, you know, a friendly audience that you feel comfortable in front of that is going to give you critical feedback. And then you need to find people who will ask you questions that maybe you're not prepared for or slightly outside of things so that you can be prepared to say things like, oh, I don't know the answer to that, but let me follow up with you. Or, oh, actually, why don't we take that offline? Um, you know, uh, after the presentation, uh, we can talk about it one-on-one, -on -one. you know, because you need to be able to practice all of those things. You know, being able to do those things is a skill in and of itself. Yeah, that's fantastic. A lot of times you're going to have someone in the audience who wants to play stump the chump. So you need to be prepared for the, Hey, I don't know. Yeah. No yeah. That, that's, that's a, that's a big thing. Um, you know, especially in the, in the SE field, um, where we're going and giving technical information to people, uh, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, there are people in the audience who want to demonstrate how smart they are. I, I know I've said this before, but I, I'm a recovering that guy, right? Where I wanted to formulate a question to the presenter so the presenter would know how smart I was, right? I wasn't even necessarily trying to stump him. I just wanted him to know, hey, I know what it is that you're talking about. I've done that too. And you have to be prepared <laughs> to, to be able to handle like that guy. And you have to be able to be prepared to handle the person who actually wants to trip you up. Hey, you know, you mentioned this, but isn't it this way? And, you know, what about this? So an actual, like, you know, softly to sometimes, you know, quite hostile person. Um, so, you know, just be prepared. Like if you need to enlist, again, your friends and family to, um, you know, put on their acting hats and act like a hostile person or act like a, hey, don't you want to know how smart I am guy? Uh, again, like me recovering that guy. Um, yeah, do that. Practice all those things. Yeah. And that's, that's great. I would also recommend starting off small with small audiences to give your real presentation. You know, as you said, sure. Practice it in front of people. I've heard people say that just putting the deck together is enough preparation for them to organize their thoughts and convey the message. But Normally that comes from people who have done a lot of presentations. So I would start small user groups, uh, small meetings at the office, as you said, leveraging one other person you trust to give you feedback. That's, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Nick, I think that's it for that topic and everything we had planned. Anything else pop into your mind while we talked, uh, just before we leave? I don't think so. You know, if you're out there and you're preparing for a presentation and you need somebody to practice being that guy for you, 
I'm sure John White would be willing to do that for you. That'll all be part of the John White School mentoring curricula when you sign up by sending that tweet to at Nerd Journey. Pricing and packaging to come. Just a reminder, we want people to subscribe and give us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. We want to know if we're being helpful and are always looking for interesting questions to ponder. We're collectively on Twitter at Nerd Journey. <laughs> Farewell, listeners. Tune in next time as the journey continues. I'm John White at That Guy. No, take that back. At The Journeyman for Nick Cordy at Network Nerd underscore signing off. Petcha kutcha, petcha kutcha, petcha kutcha. Okay, I just wanted to say that. Adios. Adios.